right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, you man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshiped Jesus and said, you must be God's son. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus in this story has just fed the 5,000. This is coming right after that event. And it's almost like he returns to the place where he started before he fed the multitudes. Because he was on his way to a quiet prayer space with the Father. And he was interrupted then by the crowds who had arrived, who he ended up feeding. So immediately after sending the crowds on their way here, Jesus sent the disciples away across the lake and I get the sense that Jesus needed this time, like he was spent and needed to recharge. And this is kind of fascinating, isn't it? The God of the universe in the flesh needs to recharge. God, after all, took the seventh day and rested after his creation. So Jesus follows this pattern in his ministry. Perhaps it was the only thing that kept him going and able to do the work of ministry. The disciples, remember, were people of the sea. Most of them were from the shores of Galilee, and they had grown up around and on the sea. They knew how to read the skies, and going out on the sea overnight was commonplace for the fishermen of the bunch. But the scripture tells us that they encountered a bad storm, and that the waves were battering their boat. They were far out from the land, so the disciples just had to weather the storm. Now, at this time, the sea was still considered the place of chaos in the world that Jesus' disciples in, inherited and that they lived in. So as much as those disciples knew the sea, they also then respected the sea. So notions about lake monsters and ghosts and scary things, especially at night on the sea, were common. So whoever was on the 3 to 6 a.m. watch that morning... Which would have, they would have had good reason to freak out when they saw what they thought they saw. So the disciples panicked, obviously, and are screaming. I almost picture a few high-pitched screams among the disciples saying, it's a ghost. And they're freaked out, waking up everyone else. And the stranger who's coming towards them 
walking on the water, says, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And the disciples must have thought that that bread that Jesus gave them back when they fed the 5,000 had done some crazy things to their systems. Or they finally recognized that that is somehow Jesus' voice calling to them out on the water. They just have seen him miraculously feed this multitude. So they get that this must somehow be Jesus. But they don't understand that throughout the scripture, these kind of words, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid, often happen throughout the Old Testament. And when someone says these words in scriptures, it is God, his very self, coming to the people. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. So Peter, of course, speaks up and is bold enough to say, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Peter is all of us as disciples sometimes. One moment, Peter has a faith and courage of a lion. And in another moment, he is flailing or denying Jesus. It's Peter's request that leads to the most important moment in this incredible event. Jesus says one word to Peter. Come. In this instruction from Jesus, we can reflect on a great deal about Jesus' expectations for us in the life of faith. So today's sermon is about one word come. In the word come, Jesus gives only one instruction. Now we tend in our lives to want much more detail than that. I'm sure that once Peter heard this instruction from Jesus, he was thinking, now tell me how to do this, Jesus. Should I jump out and then walk or should I step gingerly out on the water? Did you begin, Jesus, walking on this thing like with little side steps? Or like tippy toes. Which way did we get out on the water? And how long does the magic dust actually last, Jesus? Like, how long am I going? Are we taking like, are we taking a a loop here? Or is it like three steps and you're gone? I mean, which way, Jesus? Peter had to have some questions. He had to want more detail. Here's what I think I see in this passage. If you like detailed plans and roadmaps, this journey of faith may be really hard for you. We think we want our lives laid out like a game board, like Candyland or the game of life. Tell me which way to go, God. Give me a five-year plan. But God doesn't do that very often or at all. In many ways, this can be exciting. Last year, my wife told me we were going on a date that weekend on, on a Saturday night. We don't go out on Saturday nights very much. And she didn't tell me where we were going until we were almost there And this is strange for people in their late 30s with two kids. We plan out everything. We know dinner plans for the whole week. We know when and how we'll exercise. We are Google calendared to the max. But that night, as we pulled up, she had gotten us tickets to see one of my favorite bands. And it was a wonderful surprise. The life of faith is like that sometimes. Other times, it's like a Rubik's Cube. It feels like someone just shows you the finished cube, all six sides mashing, And gives you one and says, now you go ahead. So we spin the thing over and over. And we might even get one side matching. But then we get frustrated. How do you do it? Isn't there a step-by-step guide? Jesus invites Peter to trust with this one word, come. And I think about the words of that old, old hymn. Tis so sweet. 
to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And so Jesus calls Peter then deeper, deeper into trust. Peter, after all, has heard Jesus to call him to come before. Right? On the side of the lake, right at the beginning of the Gospels, when Jesus called to him, come, follow me. And Peter left the nets, right? And he came and followed Jesus. Peter dedicated his life to following Jesus then, leaving his profession and the boat behind. And now Jesus is calling out to Peter from the boat again. Sometimes we think about the calling of Jesus in our lives as a one-time event. Jesus calling you into the life of faith, inviting you to say no to your sin and to say yes to him, to accepting Jesus in your life. This time of saying yes to Jesus and accepting him in our lives was demonstrated last week when Jacob was baptized right here in front of us. We heard his story of saying, of, of saying yes to Jesus right here, displaying the call of Jesus on his life. What's good news about following Jesus, however, is that Jesus doesn't leave us alone after that moment. He keeps calling us deeper and deeper into the life of faith. The first call from Jesus to Peter had some more instructions, right? Come, follow me. Now Jesus just tells Peter to come, to take the next faithful step. This is what we Methodists call sanctifying grace. It means that Jesus keeps calling to you throughout your life. It means that we are in a true relationship with God. Relationships, friends, are not static things. They are dynamic as we change and develop, our relationships change and develop as well. Sometimes in the religious life and in church, we focus a lot about knowing about God. You might say that being a Christian is knowing the story of the Bible and understanding it. But truly the work of being a Christian is knowing God. Plenty of people know about God without knowing God. Peter clearly knew Jesus. He trusted Jesus. And he was willing to come, even when he didn't know how it was going to work out for him. Jesus is calling you deeper into the life of faith. Maybe to something that you don't understand. Maybe to make a decision that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the world's perspective. I think about the chorus of this song by all sons and daughters when I think about this concept. When it says, you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. 
You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord, where you lead me, Lord. Peter is saying yes to Jesus' instruction to come. The second that he lifts his leg over the boat and steps down, he is trusting The life of faith in Jesus is a series of yeses to Jesus. And it's not always dramatic as Peter's on this day. But there are moments, there are guideposts, there are Ebenezer's, there are holy times where we know that we are called once again by Jesus. And when Jesus calls Peter to come, he expects Peter to actually do it. This is the step of faith. Possibly the hardest part of faith is this first step. It is deciding that we are going to do this thing, to follow Jesus, to go where he leads us. And we do this even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when we don't know where we are going. The promise with Jesus is that he is going to take care of us. That even when we stumble and cry out, save me, He is right there holding our hand, picking us up. And Peter does stumble while walking to Jesus on the water. And we could make such an example of Peter. Oh, Peter, he just didn't have enough faith. But y'all, I'm blown away by Peter in this story. Oh, Peter, he stepped out of the boat and thought he could walk on water. And he actually did it, even if it was just a few steps. And the hard work, of course, is spiritual focus. It is keeping our eyes on Jesus the entire time, even when the waves are lapping at our feet and we can see the wind coming in at us from afar. The work of spiritual focus is incredibly difficult. And while it has always been difficult, I might argue that we have even more things to take our focus and distract us than the wind and the waves that Peter had. I don't know if you find this to be true, But I find it extremely hard to focus when I first sit down to pray. It's almost like it takes me five or ten minutes to settle in and to not be distracted. And even then, it's hard work to stay in focus. I'm going to confess something to you. I I went to the centering prayer group, which is like a, a silent prayer where you don't say anything. You're just supposed to rest in God's presence. And I did it in divinity school. And it happened with this quiet speaking nun, Sister Joanna. And it was in a room at one o'clock right after lunch. And it was kind of dark and there were no windows. And every time we would have this 20 minutes of centering prayer. And after it, we'd have have a reflection. And Sister Joanna would ask what we learned. And I said, I learned I must have been tired because I fell asleep every single time. So anyway, um, that just shows you how spiritual I am. But that's why it's important to try and make some extended times, friends, for prayer. Perhaps we need a spiritual retreat opportunity as a church where we take more than a day away, where we would have the chance to be outside and to connect with God in nature, to pull away from the things that typically distract us, be they technology distractions or anxious thoughts. Do you ever notice that when you take a vacation, it takes multiple days to settle in and to actually relax, especially if you've been going constantly in work mode? Or I find that when I take a run, The first mile and a half is always the hardest, right? And you might say, well, that's 
you're an idiot. Why are you running anyway? But, um, but, but, but it's true. The first mile, I could be running three miles or five miles or whatever, but the first mile and a half is always, it's always the hardest. It's only after that when my body can settle in. And I think it's the same in our journey with Jesus. We need to have enough time to settle in so that Jesus can have all of our attention all of our focus. And I'm not saying that you have to take 45 minutes each morning in prayer. You should probably get better at centering prayer than I was with Sister Joanna. But many of us can't take that amount of time in the morning. But we do need ways to hone our spiritual focus. Otherwise, we never hear Jesus calling. And we wonder why God is not real to us when we have not been paying attention for God's voice. Which makes me think about the old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Of course, in that moment, Peter turned his eyes away from Jesus. He started to look at what should practically happen. He should sink instead of what Jesus was making real. He is walking on the water. A miracle was done here because of Peter's trust in Jesus. Miracles are birthed from faith. Friends, God's kingdom is the realm of miracles. Now, I'm not saying that if you double what you put in the collection plate today, then God will surely bless you and perform a miracle. I'm not giving you the televangelist spiel or anything like that. But I am saying that God can and will work through you. I'm saying that miracles indeed can and do happen and that they are birthed from the place of faith. We first have to hear Jesus calling us to come and then we do it. Following Jesus is not rocket science. It's simple, but we just have to do it. Amen.